Welcome to another episode of the SaaS Podcast. I'm your host, Omar Khan, and this is the show where I interview proven founders and industry experts who share their stories, strategies, and insights to help you build, launch, and grow your SaaS business. In this episode, I talk to Espen Fries Jensen, the co-founder of Userflow, a no-code platform for building onboarding guides and product tours. Before working on Userflow, Espen co-founded Cobalt.io, an application security platform. In 2013, Espen and three of his friends decided that they were going to build a marketplace for bug bounty programs. Companies such as Google were paying bounties to people who found security exploits or vulnerabilities in their products. And the Cobot founders believed they could build a marketplace to facilitate that process for more companies. But they didn't have any experience in the security space. However, they managed to launch the marketplace and get a few customers, but the business wasn't a huge success. And before long, they were close to running out of money until they got a request from a customer that changed everything. That one request led them to eventually pivoting and building a completely different security product. And they went on to raise $37 million and build a team of over 200 people. In this interview, we talk about how four guys in Denmark who had no experience in the security space managed to pull this off. And Espen and I talk about why this time he's going down the bootstrap path and wants to see how far they can get with Userflow without any VC funding. He's gone from co-founding a VC-backed company with over 200 employees to a bootstrap startup where with just a team of two people are closing in on a million dollars in annual recurring revenue. So I hope you enjoy it. Espen, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Do you have a, a favorite quote, something you can share with us that inspires or motivates you? I don't have a, a quote per se, but I have a, something that was also a core value of Cobalt, uh, my previous company, and, and is, is something I live a lot by, which is called quality at speed. Kind of derives from uh, maybe we all know uh, uh, kind of done is better than perfect and, and these kind of things. But I, I really like the quality at speed because it speaks to you are you are moving fast, but you're doing it with quality in mind, uh, and that's something I, I live a lot by in when I build companies and, and products and so on. Love it. So we're going to talk about Cobot, but before we do that, let's talk about your your current company, Userflow. What does the product do? Who's it for? And what's the main problem that you're helping to solve? Yeah, so I'm uh, one of the founders of Userflow. Together with my co-founder, we built this product that basically allows you to do in-app onboarding, uh, product tours, and surveys. And you can do that without using any code. All you really need to do is install a small piece of JavaScript in your website, and then you can build these kind of in-app guides and onboarding flows without using any code. And that basically allows customer success managers, product managers, uh, designers to build these flows without uh, using expensive engineering time. Where are you in terms of revenue with Userflow? So we have very small bootstrap two-person company, but we are we are closing in on the 1 million ARR mark. Yeah, it's going really good. That's awesome. So we're going to talk about that and how the two of you have been able to 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 do that. But before we do, let, let's talk about Cobalt. That's a very different type of company yep. that you you co-founded and uh, I worked on for over seven years. So let's go back to 2013. Actually, before we do that and talk about how it started, 
just again tell us what, what is what is Cobalt. So Cobalt uh, today is a pen test as a service uh, provider. So basically, what uh, it's a it's a term that we help kind of coin. It's a basically a way to do penetration testing, which is security testing of your web app, mobile app, uh, API, or so on, your, your SaaS platform, to do a security test of that using real humans that does the testing. So people who can really mirror what a bad hacker uh, would be doing. So so that that's the service. And the way we delivered in Cobalt is through a platform. So that's why it's Pencil as a service. It's basically a platform-driven model so you have a SaaS platform where you interact with the testers get the results and uh, work with your pen test and and do data analysis and so on is this the same as ethical hacking or is, is pen testing different yeah i would say so ethical hacking is basically what you do when you do pen testing so you find the vulnerabilities before the bad guys do so the company was founded in in 2013 how, how did you come up with the idea for the business so we are uh, we were four Danish founders who uh, wanted to start a business, and uh, we had seen what uh, Google and Facebook were were doing, uh, where they were inviting the entire world to come and uh, find vulnerabilities in their websites, and then they would pay them bounties for the findings. None of us four founders were actually in uh, security, so that was pretty interesting. But we found it uh, super. It was a time where a lot of big hacks were happening, so we were. Also finding it kind of odd that why is this problem so hard to solve and, and so on. So we, we, we saw those two trends and then we decided to build a platform that could facilitate uh, these kind of uh, bug bounty programs, as they're called, for more than just Google and Facebook. Uh, you should be able to do it if you were any kind of business. Uh, so that's where we started. And we moved uh, initially to Buenos Aires, where we kind of built an MVP in Argentina, and then we got accepted into a accelerator in the bay area and then we stayed around in the bay area where we built out the business if you guys if none of you had any experience in security how, how did you know what to build yeah good good question uh, i think we we looked at what what google and facebook had done right so we we could see okay this is how the model works uh, so really what we had to build was some kind of you know marketplace platform right a two-sided marketplace platform where you have the testers on one side who should be able to submit a report and then the business on the other side should be able to accept or reject that report and pay a bounty if they accept it right so it was really um, facilitating a workflow more so than facilitating a, a security kind of tech deep security kind of thing uh, and i think we were all great at facilitating workflows and and we've used that uh, throughout building the business and i also think given we came in with a unbiased kind of view on the security industry has actually helped us a lot uh, to think out of the box and and really challenge the status quo uh, in the security industry. Okay, so you, you built the, the MVP and then you moved to the Bay Area to get into this accelerator. Tell me uh, sort of what that first year looked like and how did you go about turning that MVP into you, you know your final product and and kind of finding that first customer? Yeah, so we 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 got into the accelerator and uh, it was Boost VC, by the way, Adam Draper, who's the son of Tim Draper, so accelerator in the in the valley, and that was an, an amazing experience, right? We were coming from another country, Denmark, and moving into Silicon Valley, uh, and and that was of course uh, really really cool. 
and we we just wanted to build a great business and we we also got some early traction initially we sold to a lot of like smaller businesses uh, especially bitcoin exchanges was a bit big market for us back then that turned out to be probably today it could be a good market again but back then they were like uh, going under every day and uh, not the best market uh, <laughs> to, to, to go with and then we moved into selling more to software as a service businesses which was a bit more stable market so we were growing okay those uh, that first year but it was definitely it, it had its challenges of course coming from a another country and and having to build a market and and it was also our first startup so so we had to learn everything from scratch right initially uh, we did everything uh, that was a good thing about having a team of four right that we could do a bit of everything so we had one building the product one doing operations one maybe looking for fundraising, and then I was primarily focused on the the sales and marketing piece uh, of the business. The product that Cobalt is now is very different to the product that you you started out with. Yeah. So presumably there was some kind of pivot at at some point. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about like how, how, what led to that point? Yeah. So first of all, there are, of course, similarities between the products we have today, but it is a much more different model. And it's a structured way of testing. When you do pen testing, you do like a two week test with maybe a group, a small group of testers where the original model was to invite everybody in the world and and um, and pay them bounties. Right. Uh, so we also moved both from a, a more transactional bounty driven model to a more subscription driven you buy X amount of pen testing for a year. But what led us to there was actually, I think two years or three years into uh, Cobalt's history, we were kind of struggling to grow more. We were growing okay in the beginning and, and growing uh, okay fast. And we had raised like a, a angel round of 1 million. And, and we had used that to grow a bit more. But we, we could kind of see as we started to try to raise our, our seed round, we, we were struggling a bit, uh, one with raising the round and we were getting like pushback from investors, but we were also seeing that our growth rate was maybe not amazing, right? And we struggled a bit to admit that uh, because we had we did have customers for this bug bounty model, right? Uh, so it's not like the business was going uh, totally bad, but it was just not growing as fast as we expected. Uh, so we knew something was wrong. And then we actually had one or two customers who asked us, can you do a, a pen test for us? And uh, we said, yeah, sure. We can probably hack our platform a bit to do it, right? And then we saw, okay, this is, they were willing to pay like a fixed price of, um, I think like back then, like eight $8,000, right? Which was like, that was the biggest customers we ever had was uh, that size, right? And then they paid it all up front. So that, that kind of triggered something in us, like, mm, that's odd. Why are they willing to do that, right? And we, we were really, I would say it was that tough that we were, you know, like not being able to raise money, not being able to really grow your business. That's a tough, tough time for business. But this kind of eureka moment of discovering that pen testing was maybe the way to go kind of triggered something in us. And then we basically decided to go all in on pen testing. And then uh, with that kind of strategy in mind, we were able to go out and raise uh, a seed round that kind of saved the day, right? And, and allowed us to then pursue this um, pen test strategy that really uh, took off, right? We just, from there, we just grew really, really fast. 
And I think it was due to uh, a couple of different reasons. One, it was a, instead of like creating a new market, which Bob Bounty kind of was, you, we were tapping into an existing market that was owned by consultancies. And we were then coming with the modern approach to this existing uh, pen test market. And two, pen testing is very much a sales-driven motion. A lot of customers do pen testing to satisfy big enterprises they want to sell to and so on. So there's like a sales driver behind it. And that, but Bounty didn't really have that. There was only the security driver. And, and even though I would love that security was like the only, like the could be a driver on its own, it's not always the case. A lot of businesses are more driven by, you know, sales and so on. So they, that helped us as well, right? That they, there was actually a sales driver as well on top of the security driver. So those two things really helped us grow. And, and you can say that's when we found product market fit, right? It was, we, we didn't admit that we were struggling to find it back then, but, but we really were, right? And, and when we, we pivoted to pen testing, that's where we found it. And then it just took off. I mean, I, I know you, you, you said before that you had customers, but you were also starting to run out of money as well, right? Yeah, yeah, we were. You know, as an early stage company, you always uh, <laughs> kind of the the next round is super critical, right? Especially in a VC funded business, right? So yeah, we were we were getting close to that, and we're talking about okay, what strategies should we do if we start running really out of money? So this came as a just in the right time for us, right? This discovery of the power of pen testing, and uh, yeah, so that that. Sometimes uh, the timing is just right, right? And, uh, and we were lucky uh, or had the grit to, to also find the new strategy, right? And, and, and we're, we also took a risk, right? Because we actually lost some existing customers in doing this transition. But in the end, we gained so much more from doing it. Yeah, so I, I think this pivot was a pivotal moment, forgive the pun here, right? But... I think that was a really an important point yeah, because it was. a lot of founders get stuck and don't get past this point. And you guys were also sort of there and struggling to figure out effectively product market fit. And when this, so I want to talk more about this because I think this is a really interesting part of the story. When this customer turned up and asked you if you could do pen testing, did the lights go off immediately when you were like, great, yeah, this is this is the direction we need to be going? Or was this more about, great, we've got somebody who's going to pay us some money and, and give us a little bit more of a lifeline while we can figure out what to do with the bug bounty business? Like, how long did it take for you to decide to figure out that pen testing was the way to take the product as well? It was definitely a transition period, right? It was not like, okay, day one, then we do it, right? It was like, okay, let's try to do this. We kind of hack it a bit. We hack our platform a bit to satisfy this customer. It was a, a customer we really liked. They also liked our bounty. And they, they said, can you do this as well? And then, yeah, sure, we, we want to try it out. And and when you're a small startup, you you are more flexible in, in what you can try out, right? Um, and so I think we initially tried it out, then we did it on a couple of more customers. And in a period, we started marketing kind of the dual thing, right? Like we are the pen test and bug bounty platform. But actually that didn't work so well either because that was just confusing and you didn't have like a full focus. I've always been a big advocate and I think all the couple founders were and, and also Newsflow, like 
the power of focus, right? Like doing one thing really well. And I think we at some point landed maybe in a kind of like dual marketing where we had like bug bounty and pen testing because we were afraid to let go of our existing customers, right? But then sometimes we just took the risk and said, in order for us to really grow fast, because we could see that the pen test business was growing faster than the bug bounty, let's just go all in on pen testing because then we can build a product that's perfect for pen testing. We can build uh, all our support and sales and marketing, everything aligned around that single product. And that was a super important period. So I think it was like a transition period of one year we went through uh, before we we fully transitioned. Do you remember roughly how much revenue you were making at the time and, and what the split was between bug bounty and pen testing? Oh, that's a good question. Probably, uh, I can't remember the exact numbers, like 1 million AR. But then we, you know, we started doing the triple, triple, double, double, double kind of growth numbers. I can't remember the exact number, but uh, it was, it was in the lower end, but um and the other thing you have to keep in mind, we were actually a transactional business at that point. So we didn't even count things like AR. We just counted our revenue and looked at that, right? Um, mm, yeah. And then we, the, the other pivot we did was really transition into a subscription business, right? And that was another critical decision that because we could just have kept on selling pencils as a transaction. But really what we saw in the industry, and I think that was, again, us... Uh, thinking out of the box consultancies were think, selling a lot of this like transactionally right pencils by pencils but we saw that especially compliance and these kind of things were actually driving a model where SaaS businesses had to do pen testing year after year after year right it was not just a one-time thing so we with the platform because we had the SaaS platform we had that consistent touch point that allowed us to say okay, yes, you might just do one pen test a year, but it's actually an annual subscription where you have access to the platform, you can get retesting, uh, et cetera, uh, throughout the year, and then it renews the next year, right? And companies that do many, many pen tests, that makes even more sense, right? Because then they have that platform on an annual basis, and then they run the same amount of pen test again the following year. Um, so, so moving into subscription, as many have done, others have done successfully, we also did that, right? And that was also a pivotal moment that we started counting ARR from that point on. So around the time you were you were doing about a million a year, how much of that was coming from the bug bounty business? Yeah, I can't remember the, those exact numbers, uh, Omar. Uh, I'm sorry. But it, was, it, was it just like, was it like 50-50? Was it, you know? Yeah, I mean, it was initially you know it was a transition period over the year right so it was like initially maybe five percent uh, and then it was like uh, it grew right pen testing just took more and more market share and is is that how you started to see the future because you were seeing more and more custom this need and and that was growing faster yeah and also the the willingness to pay more for it right because it actually it, it was an existing market it had an existing price tag it had the sales driver, compliance driver. So it, there was a defined pricing, right? Where we, as any other early stage SaaS company creating a new market, we maybe priced ourselves too low in the bug bounty space, right? I think it was like a 20% fee on bounties, right? So you both had the problem that what then happens when you stop finding stuff, right? Because when a platform becomes very secure, 
you kind of <laughs> you you you're still delivering value, right? Because you're te- you're technically testing, but uh, if you're paying per bounty and you're charging a fee per bounty, you and they don't find as much anymore, then you are not earning any money, right? So the business model was also bad. Uh, so a lot of things were stuff we learned, right? And then we we really hit the the nail with the you know subscription driven model, the pen test, and so on. So a lot of learnings along the way, but it was you know tough learnings. But that's what what is fun about startups, right? It's it's those kind of learnings that you do over time. So so you guys were going out and doing the selling, right, in the early days. Yeah. And when when you started to focus on pen testing, traditionally that, as you said, was an area that had been sold as a consulting service, not a product. Yeah. And so now if you're getting in front of customers, you guys don't have that much experience in security. You're probably competing with consulting companies that have been doing this kind of stuff for a long time. Yeah. What was that experience like? What did you learn from that about how to sell? Yeah, I think so. One, we were moving into a market where there was a high touch sales process, right? For, uh, and we were maybe more in favor of a lower touch product led kind of model, right? That's what we had done with the bug bounty stuff. But with pen testing, we really saw okay, now we're competing against service companies and they have a tendency to do higher touch sales. And we were coming with a brand new model. So we had to do some education on our model. So I think we, at that point, decided to transition into a more sales-led model uh, where we did demos, we had customer success uh, for every customer. So a more high-touch, both sales and support model. And we needed to do that because of the kind of competing with with the service industry, right? Um, But then over time, as Cobalt grew in in size and, and maturity and and our model became something everybody knew about, especially in the software as a service space. Uh, and pen testing became more and more normal to do. Everybody knew, knows what a pen test is. We also, again, started looking to move more and more product. We always kept our eye on trying to have as much self-service post-purchase as possible. right? But I think the other thing we then started to transition back towards was what can we also do um, pre-purchase right and and you know can you do a free trial can you do these kind of product-led motions for for cobalt as well so so that was a journey we started on and that i helped uh, facilitate uh, together with with our product and customer success and sales and so on and that that really also was what got me excited about user flow and that's why i decided to leave uh, cobalt and i'm still an advisor there but leave my operational role and 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 join uh, userflow which is a you can say a product in the product led growth space and it's also a born product led product which is interesting yeah yeah i think that there's some interesting connections between product led and sales led and and, and what you're doing with with userflow so i want i want to kind of just wrap up a little bit on on the the story here with cobalt and then we'll we'll talk more about userflow so you're doing you're doing outbound with Cobalt. Yeah. You guys are doing the sales efforts. There was some inbound that you were also getting. The other thing was events was another part of your growth strategy, right? Yeah. Yeah. So we had an amazing uh, chief marketing uh, or VP of marketing, sorry, who um, he, he had been in the security industry for a long time. So we hired him. And then we also hired an amazing chief strategy officer, um, 
Caroline Wong, who's a thought leader in the security space and, and uh, an amazing uh, speaker and, and thought leader. And both those hires really uh, helped us uh, also create a brand, right? We Remember, we were four Danish people, so we didn't really have a big network in in the security industry in the U.S. or anywhere. And so they helped us create that brand in the security space. And a big part of selling in, in security is there's a couple of big conferences, uh, RSA, Black Hat, DEF CON, and these kind of uh, where you do a bit more event driven sales right so event driven marketing and and we were really good at that due to especially our vp of marketing being really good at that uh, but then also for especially smaller customers we of course had a lot of inbound uh, from seo but all of that of course also came from the branding we were doing to our vp of marketing and and caroline so you told me earlier that the the security community in the u.s is is pretty close-knit and that's not something that you guys were yeah were initially we didn't know we didn't know anybody right so we we were not even from security uh, and and then on top of that the, the security industry is a close-knit group so i think even though we had an amazing product we had to um you had to get talk time uh, speaking time right uh, and that was hard for us to get because we were unknown and i think that's where caroline and, and chris our vp of marketing really helped us right uh, create that trust and brand in the U.S. security industry, uh, so we could get um, get out and speak about our product. And and when then people actually could listen, they they all liked it, right? And and that that helped us grow a bit. Uh, but yeah, that was also a challenge for us getting through the. There's so many vendors in the security space, right? So uh, you 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 really have to figure out how you get uh, through the noise. And to date, so so eventually you did raise money, and and Cobalt's gone on to raise, I, I think, thirty seven million dollars so far. Yeah, um, in total. Yeah. And what's the size of the team? How many employees does the company have? It's getting close to two hundred. So they're growing really fast these days. Uh, raised the Series B in in last year, and yeah, the company's going really well. Security has not, you know, as you probably know, security the security market is uh, keep on increasing, and it's likely not going away soon. Yeah. So over 200 people at Cobalt, how many people do you have working at Userflow? Two. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the founders. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So so you got you guys are closing in on your first million in ARR. And Sebastian, your co-founder at Userflow, were, has been working on, on this product since 2018. And just kind of describe what your relationship was, because you, you, you sort of joined full-time earlier this year but you've been involved with sebastian for and with user for, for quite some time yeah so sebastian is a, a a friend of mine uh he was actually a customer of cobalt that's how i got to know him initially he's also from denmark uh, and he was based in the bay area as well so uh, there's a small danish community in the bay area and how many Danish people are there in the Bay Area? <laughs> uh, I think it's actually a, more than a thousand. I think uh, I've heard um, so. So there are a few, but uh, I, I got to know him uh, uh, through through the Bay Area in San Francisco, right? Um, and then uh, we stayed friends. And when he started working on uh, what back then he worked on something called Studio One that later transitioned into being Useflow. It was actually a, a video kind of. A platform for making videos, uh, training videos, uh, onboarding videos. But he's transitioned into this more interactive in-app guidance in 2019. I stayed very close to him. Uh, I 
I did this, consider joining him already back then, but Kobel was going so great, and I, I wanted to help push Kobel to the next level, and, and I could still see me adding a lot of value in Kobel then. So, so I waited a bit, but, but advised him from time to time on certain topics. And then in the end of 2020, where Kobel had really been on this product-led journey uh, for a year or so, and I really was getting excited about it, uh, maybe I was also looking to get back to that early stage uh, feeling again. You know, I'm a founder by heart, so really enjoy that early stage of a company. And, and Kobel was maturing into a, a great, a larger company, right? Um, so I maybe made the decision due to those reasons to join Sebastian full-time and, and go all in on on, uh, on helping grow user flow to the next level. So that's uh, that's the short story about that. So you, you spent many years at, at Cobalt in a in a very sales led environment, and then now with with user flow, you've you've gone back to product led, which is kind of how you guys started out with Cobalt. So it's kind of gone full circle. Yeah, and I think we always kept a bit of it in Cobalt, but you know we just were for we were more forced to have a more sales led model, right? Uh, so uh, yeah, uh, I think. But in in user flow, we're really at that. I think which we were also in the early stage of COVID, like the true product-led where you, everything you do is product-led, right? We we try really not to do sales meetings at all, right? And not have customer success necessarily. And it's all like the product is driving the selling and the, the support and the retention and so on. Um, of course, we are not negligent to our customers and we, we still talk to them if needed, but, but it's we try to push everything into the product and that i think is what has allowed us to scale to that level of revenue without hiring anybody right because we're basically we do free trials and the customers many customers will just buy without ever speaking to us right they, they'll just go to free trial and then buy our, our product are you hiring freelancers vendors no nothing no we we've had a bit of ux help from a freelancer there but that's it 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 is basically because we can manage the business just the two of us at the moment Uh, and we also have this we want to try to see how it is to bootstrap a business right so we also haven't raised capital and we're not planning to raise capital we want to see how far can you actually go with hiring maybe a limited amount of people and and uh, and not raising any capital and and so far it's been it's been so good. So so what is it like? Sebastian's working on the product and you're focused on growth? Yeah. He, he builds the product. Sebastian is an amazing engineer. He, he has built other software-as-a-service products before and also worked at Google. And uh, then I focus on the growth part and, and customer support and these kind of things. Um, so really making sure that we get more customers and, and also support the customers that we have. So Userflow is not the only onboarding product out there. There's there's quite a few around. How, how is the product different to other products that are out there? And then secondly, how are you messaging that to the market? Yeah, I think really the biggest difference, and I think that's um, what I, of course, I'm biased, but but the biggest difference is we we focused a lot on building an, a fantastic UX, right? So a product that's easy to use, but yet advanced. So we have all the advanced functionality that you would expect from a solution like ours, like version control, localization, you can branch flows, you can do all sorts of uh, advanced things. But we really focused on 
keeping it clean and nice, right? So, so that is, I think, our biggest differentiator. And that's also what we hear from customers is that we are, that's where we win, right? Like we, we have a really strong UX. So, so you can say there are two buckets of competitors. There are the ones that are, they're simple to use, but they're also very basic. And then you have the ones that are advanced, but they're also a bit harder to use. And we really try to find that middle ground where you have something that's advanced, but easy to use. How do you go about building a great user experience? And and I know this is this is probably a, a question that we could spend all day kind of talking yeah. about. But what I'm trying to get to here is that, like, I mean, I'll talk about personally from my experience. I, I can, like, I'm always like, you know, just because of what I do, I'm always like looking at different products and trying things. And for me, it's often about when I when I sign up, regardless of the functionality, there's this kind of this visceral thing that I go through to to decide, do I actually like being in this app? Does it actually feel pleasant to use? Does it actually make sense? And in many ways, even if a product lacks some features, but kind of passes those things that I just mentioned, I'm more likely to stick with that and spend money on that than something that has more functionality, but for whatever reason just doesn't feel right or is a little difficult to use. So what does a great user experience mean for you guys? And then how do you figure that out for user flow? No, I, I, I totally agree with you uh, that um, UX is sometimes more important than features, or, or I would say always more important. But of course, the features matters as well as you start using the product more. If if you really lack some key integration or, or something, it's also not good, right? Then you might start accepting a worse UX just to get that feature, right? Um, but I think UX is, in my view, also the most important thing. I really don't like working with with products that are, are hard to use or doesn't give me a smooth experience. Maybe they're slow and and things like that, right? It's always hard to like put definition on what is a great ux right i I think there are many elements that plays into that right one of them is of course like less is more right like sometimes you know many many platforms try to put a a lot of stuff in their platforms which of course adds complexity right and it's really about like how can you make it as simple as possible while still achieving the aha moment the goal of, of what you want the user to do so, so I think that's how we always think as well. Like, how can you keep things simple and how can you do things uh, smarter? We're looking a lot on, on our customers' challenges, right? Like, are there certain challenges? Whenever we get a support ticket, we always think, how can we solve that in the product instead of thinking of how can we write a, a help desk article that can explain it, right? Like, we much rather want to solve that uh, support issue in a by having the product do something smarter or better right so so we are we're also always listening to our customers and seeing what they struggle with and and also do like maybe videos with our customers seeing how they use the platform so we can see certain things they're struggling with uh, that we can maybe make smarter so so we do a lot of customer analysis but that's also combined with a, a lot of intuition about what is a good user experience right and what how would you like it to work yourself right and care about that care about the quality again that quality at speed i mentioned in the beginning is super important yeah and and it it can be hard to do that the more time you spend on a product because you get used to it 
And sometimes you don't notice those little things that a new user coming in might see or might struggle with. So Exactly. There are great tools for that today, right? There are, there are tools like LogRocket and, and these kind of tools out there where you can actually see what new users do and then you can learn from that, right? So, so I think that those are tools you can use to kind of learn and see what you can do better, right? And, and then it's also not a customer saying you should do this, but you actually witness the problem and see, okay, this is actually like a real problem they struggle with. How can we do this smarter, right? So do you use Userflow for Userflow? Yes, we do. Uh, very meta. But yeah, we, <laughs> we, uh, we do use Userflow and Userflow. And, and we are very focused on... So I think even though we use Userflow and Userflow, which helps guide the user, right? We are also still focused on having a great UX of our platform in general, right? So Userflow should be used for introducing people to the key kind of actions they need to do. But it it shouldn't it, it's not a, a compromise for for bad UX, right? I think you should do both, and you should have like a good focus on having a good UX, and then have something like Userflow to do your your onboarding, right, uh, or guidance. I think even in the most user friendly app, you it's still there's still a lot of power in in guiding the user to do certain things, um, especially in B two B where you just have. There is a level of complexity in B2B applications um, that, that you might do it in a different way than others do it and people are used to certain things and so on. So, so yeah, it's good to have that kind of onboarding, even though you have a great UX. Yeah, I, th- I think that's a great distinction because, I, I mean, and to me, if you don't have a great UX, using a tool like Userflow might help, but it's kind of, you're not fixing the root cause of the problem. You're just trying to put a, a bandage on it and, and and trying to sort of get things through. Whereas uh, I, I think it's like user flow or tools like that, are, I think are really about the onboarding that in terms of, okay, even if it wasn't there, the product is still intuitive, it's easy to use, but there's, in order for them, your, your customers to have success, there's a certain pathway or steps that they should take to get there. And then those, you know, using tools like Userflow can help you to take users from point A to point Z where they need to get to. But don't think that this is going to compensate for a, a crappy UX. No, exactly. That's exactly what I mean. Yeah. And and I think you can actually learn a lot from building the user flow onboarding as well, because you have to build the guides. So you will see, okay, is there something <laughs> that we're doing here that doesn't really make sense, right? Um, so So that's also interesting. Yeah, yeah. I, I really like what you said about, you know, we, we, rather than just creating another help doc, we first take a look at and think about how could we make things more obvious or easier in the product. That's a great, great mindset to have. So let, let's talk about what you've done, what you and Sebastian have done to grow this this business. What what are What are sort of the main growth drivers here? Like, are you doing a lot of like outbound emails? Are you, are you, kind of driving a bunch of inbound through SEO? Where, where are the customers coming from? Yeah, no, so we we do, of course, SEO is, SEO is something we're always working on. Can we do more SEO because it's cheaper? We also do run Google Ads, right, to help. While our SEO is improving, Google Ads are great for, like, compensating for that, right? And then I would say we don't, it's not like we don't do any form of outbound. We do have some outbound, like email campaigns, uh, LinkedIn, uh, networking and so on um 
Uh, but other than that, we do a lot of uh, thought leadership. So we try to go out and talk a lot about product-led growth, SaaS onboarding, uh, to really create a brand around that. It's also big trends these days. And, and we also speak to the whole no-code trend that we also play into. As we do a lot of thought leadership, um, it of course helps that I founded a company before, so I can use my voice this time, which uh, I have a bit more voice now than, than I used to have with, with um, in the early days of COVID, right? And, and then we also are listed on a number of like the G2s, the Capteras of this world, right? That's also a great channel for us um, where people leave reviews because that's a good place to spread the word of mouth. And, and that's the fifth thing I really want to mention is word of mouth, right? It's, that's essential for us. We, we focus a lot on building a great product so people will talk about it to their peers and share the word, right? And that's really how we see ourselves growing a lot in the future right uh, of course we're gonna uh, spark that uh, with other things but but you know word of mouth is key to us and that's also what you see with all the successful players with product-led growth slack zoom etc right uh, they they have amazing products and that creates word of mouth that creates uh, these viral effects so they get even more customers i'm still curious how how are just the two of you able to do everything like are you guys like just like you know ultra productive, or you've just figured out a way to to you know decide that you know the eighty twenty there's only you know a certain number of things you're going to focus on and say no to everything else? Like how are you doing it? Yeah, I mean you of course don't do everything right. You say no to certain things. I mean I don't have a partnership program or anything like that today, but I you know it is really about letting the product be the main driver for a lot of stuff right like exactly that mindset that when you get a support ticket you try to solve it via the product so you avoid that support ticket going forward right it also helps that sebastian is an amazing engineer and can build stuff extremely fast right so that of course helps us a lot but uh, in general it's that mindset around having the product as your main kind of tool and actually what we see is they the customers they ask a lot of questions maybe in the beginning uh, when they do the trial right the free we have a two-week free trial but then after that they kind of go away and they build their stuff and they know what to do right because it's a good ux so all and all the initial questions were answered and then we don't hear so much uh, from them again and they still keep on renewing right so it's that that's ideally how you want it to be so so you you don't have to spend significant amount of time I think when you look at, at least for me, and like uh, products like Salesforce and so on as well, and Slack, I mean, I don't think they get a lot of, I don't know. I mean, I, I haven't been in their teams, but I've never written a support ticket to Slack, right? I've never written a support ticket to Zoom because they have great products, so I don't need to, right? I might need to write them about something I would like to purchase or some advanced scenario, but like for the baseline functionality, I don't really need to write them, right? Um, and I think that that is what categorizes a, a great product uh, is one where you can just use it and it's a no-brainer how you use it and so on. So who who are your customers today and, and, and you know, what, what's the mix? Like, how, for example, how many enterprise customers do you have? Just just a percentage-wise. Yeah, so right, I mean, like like any other early-stage SaaS business, we a majority of our customer base is SMB and SaaS, SaaS B2B, SMB, right? Um, that's kind of the, the majority of our customers. But we have seen 
a couple of larger enterprises, uh, both in terms of like larger SaaS businesses where maybe one or two product teams are using it, right? Or uh, also larger traditional enterprises. So um, like we all know, like uh, SaaS is, um, is becoming a thing even for the traditional enterprise and they're building portals and platforms to interact with their customers and they also need onboarding. So we, we work with a couple of like larger traditional Fortune uh, 500 companies that, are, that have these kind of uh, platforms as well. And, and then has the sales process for them, for those larger customers, been been different, or are they just going through and signing up? Yeah. So so we yeah, it definitely has, right? That's where we often end up having a demo with them. The procurement process is also still a contract and so on, right? Um, so that is a di- different. But the way we handle it is basically we have three packages today, right? We have startup, we have pro, we have enterprise, and you can get more or less the same functionality in Pro, but it's uh, online terms and credit card, right? So we really disincentivize the enterprise purchase, right? So we really want enterprise to think about, are you a truly enterprise, right? Uh, and many businesses, I think, especially like the size of like 200 employees, they sometimes end up thinking like an enterprise, even though they really shouldn't, right? And we try to push those type of kid business to think a bit less like an enterprise, and maybe buy the the credit card online terms package, right? And then have the true enterprises that really needs this kind of lengthy procurement process and all this stuff go the enterprise route, right? So so that that's how we do that. And then we, of course, to satisfy all the pro customers, we make a lot of material available on our website, like policy, security policy, you know, all the kind of things they would need for the lengthy procurement process, but it's all written by us, right? It's not something that has to be manually drafted. So I think, yes, if we move more of market with the traditional enterprise, we would have to do more of this kind of demo and contract work, right? But but that's yeah, just a part of the game. Yeah, no, I like I like that. I I never sort of come not come across that before. This whole idea of like trying to de incentivize. Yeah customers and, and really think about do you really really need that <laughs> it sounds funny right because uh, <laughs> wouldn't you like these big enterprise customers but really what we want uh, we want a business that works at scale right and the more business we can try to work in a scalable fashion where they don't like need like heavy uh, kind of procurement cycles or anything like that the better right uh, that's easier for us yeah it's good stuff all right we should uh, wrap up get on to the lightning round so i've got uh, seven quick fire questions for you so just try to answer them as quickly as you can yeah all right ready yep i'm ready okay <laughs> what's the best piece of business advice you've ever received stay focused uh, do do one thing uh, well uh, and stay focused on that what book would you recommend to our audience and why the product-led book by west bush is a great book uh, it's uh really gives a great intro to the whole product-led movement uh, so that's one i would recommend Yep, and and I had Wes on the show a while back, so we we kind of did. I can't remember which episode it was. Just just look it up. But we chatted yeah. about that. What's one attribute or characteristic in your mind of a successful founder? Grit. I think you need to have a lot of grit. Just keep going, and uh, there will be a lot of tough times, but you you gotta keep going. What's your favorite personal productivity tool or habit? That's a good question. <laughs> I, I don't know. Uh, inbox zero. I'm very much an inbox zero kind of guy, and I organize my inbox to be zero right so even though you get a lot of emails that i don't read they're all 
the right ones are structured in a way so it, it becomes inbox zero. And I think for me at least to function and, and be structured and, and make sure our customers get response on time, I think that's super important um, to kind of follow that uh, rule. What's a new or crazy business idea you'd love to pursue if you had the extra time? <laughs> oh, crazy. I would. I mean, I don't know if this is crazy, but this is actually a, a I'm looking for a CRM for product-led businesses. And I think that is something we need in the market. The era of uh, Salesforce is, I, I love everything Salesforce did for our industry and, and um, they've done so much amazing stuff, but their CRM is, is outdated when it comes to product-led sales motions. And we need something new in the market. And I think uh, I would love to see that. Uh, and I know there are a few early stages coming, but uh, let's see uh, what's, what's out there. What's an interesting or fun fact about you that most people don't know? <laughs> oh, man. So I uh, I actually lived in Tanzania from I was, uh, until I was like three years old. Uh, so that I've, I've been born global, you can say, even though I'm <laughs> Danish. Uh, so, and since then, I've, uh, you know, moved around in the world and now live in the in the Bay Area for, for the last eight years. Africa, Europe, South America, North America. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> uh, and and what's, uh, finally, what's one of your most important passions outside of your work? Uh, so I do a lot of biking. Uh, I bike the beautiful nature here in, uh, in, the, in the Bay Area and also go to other places to bike and, and, and like both biking and hiking and the nature. Awesome. Uh, so if people want to find out more about uh, Userflow, they can go to userflow.com yes. and uh, they can find Cobalt at cobalt.io. If people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, LinkedIn is the best way. So just connect with me. Espen Freestanson. Yep. We'll include uh, a link to your profile in the show notes there. Perfect. Espen, awesome. Uh, thank you so much for uh, joining me and uh, spending some time to chat about Userflow and Cobalt. I wish uh, you and Sebastian the best of success. And uh, thank you. I'm curious to to know how far you guys can go before you feel like you need to hire someone. <laughs> <laughs> before we hire someone. Yeah, that's going to be interesting. Let's see. Yeah. yeah, thanks for having me. It was a pleasure being on the show. Awesome. Thanks so much. Cheers. Cheers.